Alrighty. So good to see you all this morning. If you are new, if this is your first time or consider yourself a guest, uh, we love, I trust, firstly, I trust that you were greeted with a smiley face, someone who said, hey, good to see you. Uh, I, I still feel like we are the friendliest church, the friendliest church in Cape Town. Are we the friendliest church in Cape Town? That's the, that is the question I have to put out there. Um, I think we are because we just want to welcome someone this morning. I want to honor someone who was in the city with us, co-laboring with us, and uh, he's a, a great individual that I met the other day for the first time, Grant Skippers. Grant is standing, just wave for us, Grant. There's Grant there. Grant has just transitioned uh, Connect Church, Metarid Baptist. He's leading there. And uh, so I just want to remind you, Grant, this is the friendliest church in the city. All right, just to remind you. Anyway, but it's so good to have you. And uh, he's just literally started. He, 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 what, how many months ago? Six months ago. And they really give him a Sunday off, guys. What's going on here? What's happening here? But it's so good to have you. I trust that Yuri is being kind to you there sitting next to you. Yuri, behave yourself, but it's good. And Grant, we just want to say that Meadow Ridge Connect Church has been an absolute beacon of light in this community for so many years. And uh, we just want to honor the journey you're about to take as you take that church into the new future that God has called that bride to go into. I think God has called that church to incredible things. I feel like the future is bigger. I just want to remind you that the future of Connect Church is far greater, far wider, far deeper than it's ever experienced in the past. There have been incredible men who have labored for years and years, men and women who have set in place incredible foundations, incredible legacy there. But I just want to encourage you that you are in a place that God has handpicked you for, for such a time as this. And just as we as a community just want to stand with you, and uh, I think it's a great moment just to pray for you. Can we do that? Just to pray for Connect Church in the part of this city as you guys have the part of your vineyard. We've got our vineyard. It's just here. You guys need to find your own vineyard. But anyway, <laughs> we have a vineyard. It's just here. Father, I thank you for Connect Church. I thank you for Grant. I thank you, Lord God, for his family. I thank you, God, for the, the leaders and the elders and everyone, Lord God, the kids ministers, the youth leaders of Jesus, those who welcome at the doors, those who lead their life groups and all the different areas. Father, I just thank you, God, that we as a church can stand here and bless this church. And so, Father, we are no, we are no, we are no competition with churches in this city. We stand in support. We stand, Lord God, shoulder to shoulder as we speak life over Connect Church and its next season, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that, that Lord, as you call this church into a new season, Father, with new leadership, we thank you, God, that it is going to be a season of a great harvest. Many souls coming to you. And so we thank you, Father, as Seaburg, we're able to bless you and bless that church community in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good to have you, Grant. If you knew and you are brave enough, how's this, to put your hand up, we got a little uh, brown folder thing that has a free brownie coupon inside, and a very smiley individual, two smiley individuals that are about to run at you, so if that is you, if you're new, why don't you put up your hand, say, hey, that's me, I'd love to get one of these, there we go, right at the back there, run guys, this is, tackle them, take them out, but uh, Straight after the meeting, we'd love to meet with you. Out of those doors, there's a new here area that we'd love to have a brownie with you and get to know you. There's a great team that will welcome you there. 
carols. We have carols on the 10th. Okay, let me try that again. We have carols on the 10th. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I first started, I said, let's have carols. We're going to do it here, and we're going to have a lovely Bedouin tent out there with a whole bunch of umbrellas, jumping castles. We're going to have food trucks. We're going to have coffee trucks. We're going to have sweets for the kids. Just pump them with sweets. We're going to have all this stuff happening out there. And everyone said, but people go to Kirstenbosch. I said, Kirsten, what? I don't know Kirstenbosch. I said, but carols is going to be epic here for this, this uh, Seaburg community. So won't you invite your friends? We want to jam this place out. It's probably going to be the hottest evening on record. But we'll jam this place out. We'll sweat it out for an hour from 5 to 6 in the afternoon here, early evening. And then we're going to just spend a great time out there on that grass patch having fun as a community. So invite your friends. We really are preparing. I think the band and everyone are starting this week to prepare. Um, so won't you invite friends? It's going to be good to see you. And just to remind you that we will still have our morning meeting. So I'm just putting it out there. There's no preaching at carols. All right, it's just singing about, yes, Jesus. But Sunday morning, we will still meet here, 9.30. Christmas sermon series kicking off next Sunday, uh, titled, He is Called. Um, so yeah, what a great moment. We're going to look at four weeks uh, heading into Christmas for Christmas Day on the series, He is Called. So won't you also invite friends? It's those great moments of the year to invite the lost, those who are searching into a community moment like this. Collie is taking shift. There's Colin at the back. So Colin, you are dismissed. All the shifters, you guys can go. Apparently they're going for ice creams. You couldn't have picked a better day to have ice creams, but anyway, they're going to ice creams uh, just up the road. And while they do that, I want to wel welcome Rigby and Sue. Why don't you come up, both of you. Let's welcome Rigby and Sue. They're with us this morning. This is their last assignment of the year to preach to us, and uh, it is really just a privilege to have you guys in this space, uh, but I just wanted to take a few minutes to honor you guys uh, before I give the mic to Sue, because she's got incredible wisdom and stuff to share this morning. But the reality is, is that we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Now, I know God will plan out His plans. Yeah, a bit of an exaggeration, but I'm going to keep running at it. Really, I just want to honor you guys. I think you guys have labored in the city for years, for decades. You've done the work that God has called you to. And we get the benefits of being in this space because of that. And not just for Megan, I'm saying for all of us, every single one of us. When the decision was made to plant Seaburg so many, what, 13 odd years ago, it was a decision out of your heart to go, actually, we wanted to see the city reach for the gospel. And I'd love to just say to you guys, well done. Thank you for going ahead. I know that there's a scripture that says, honor your father and mother and it will go well with you. Not that you're my father and mother. But in a sense, there's something that not that I know. How can you believe it? <laughs> but these are moments to be able to just say that as we, as we honor this couple, as we honor Rigby and Sue for the work that they've done, I believe that it will go with it, well with us. I believe if we can be a cultural honoring environment, of those who have gone before us, those who have laid the foundation, those who have sowed the seed, man, we get to benefit from that. So I just want to honor you guys and thank you guys for that. Sue, do you want to just give us a quick encouragement? I've always got something to say. Um, <clears throat> yeah, thanks for having us. We love being here. We love walking into this church where we have so many relationships, so many people we've loved and served and poured our lives into and you into us. So... 
It's been wonderful. Just thanks for holding on for a better day. I know there's, there's never a perfect church, never a perfect anything, but uh, we've held on for a better day in this church, and it's, it's a new church. You know, I think there's just something beautiful and new and fresh that God's doing here. So well done to all of you. Yeah, we love you. Thanks, Sue. Hand over to Riggs. Thanks, Riggs. These guys are, there we are. I want to, uh, can we have it on this side? I want to speak this morning on climbing the corporate ladder. No. But uh, this will make a little bit of sense later. As will this. But let's just leave it for now. Thank you so much for the uh, privilege and opportunity. We don't uh, feel like we have rights to any of the Common Ground churches. We come through the front door of the elders, and this eldership team has invited us, and we've purposed in God to put our yes on the table for as long as they feel we can be helpful. Uh, the moment we're not being helpful, uh, send us on an all-expenses-paid trip to, on a Scandinavian sea liner, something like that, <laughs> next week, <laughs> okay, um, yeah, and uh, I really do come with a kind of a incredible joy and a thrill today to be able to preach God's Word. I'm hoping that uh, we will encounter God together this morning in both the speaking of the Word of God and in our listening uh, there are times when God wants to speak to us as a church, and then there are times when God also wants to speak to us as a church collective, but also wants to get up close and personal to us as individuals, and I want all of the above. But before I do that, I have a little, what I call a prophetic exhortation to bring you as a church from a little verse that I felt the Holy Spirit heating up for us. It's in Galatians chapter 6 from verse 9 to 10, and it says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good. Say that out loud. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those of the household of faith. I'm wanting to exhort you to long-haul endurance, faithfulness, staying the course, obedience as a church. And the fact that Paul writes to the Galatian church to say, do not grow weary, means there is a very distinct possibility that we can be tempted and drawn to weariness. The complexity of life in the world right now with all of its fault lines and difficulties, the complexity of life in our city, Cape Town, in our country, uh, all the layers of complexity. Uh, he's calling us 
to not grow weary. We can get weary, but he's calling us, he's giving us the option. We don't have to be weary. We can continue to do good because that's the role of the church. That's the role of every follower of Jesus. We are do-gooders. We are not doing good for our salvation. We're doing good from our salvation. We earn zilch. Say zilch, but you didn't say it properly. We don't earn our salvation. We evidence it. We express it. And the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ is the city set on a hill. It's called to faithfully, continually radiate the blazing light of Jesus through our works. Jesus said, let our good works, let your good works shine before men that they may glorify God in heaven. It's an attention-focusing device. It's not an earning brownie points uh, agenda. And so I want to call you to keep doing good, and I want to call you to do it with expectation that you will reap and you will grow from strength to strength as individuals and as a church. That's how you live your best life now, is being faithful to the life giver yeah. now yeah. in every way that we can. So I hope that encourages you, and you might want to just meditate on that. It's an anchoring verse to say at the end of a year, oh, so tempting, but hey, let's use this verse to reboot us. Let's go on holiday, have a fantastic rest, get refreshed, but we're coming back to be a church, to be a city set on a hill. And everybody said? Cool, 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 cool. I want to speak to you this morning on Paul's greatest prayer. Doesn't sound very sexy, but I know by the time we have finished working through this short prayer, just uh, seven verses, that uh, we're going to experience God in a new way. We'll feel his, both His presence and His wisdom washing through our lives. Uh, as I read this, I want to ask you to position your heart as individuals. Try and pick up the, uh, feel the buildup in the prayer. Feel this momentum that starts to uh, increase. Sense the direction where he's taking us and also embrace the invitation. There's something in this for us that is both profound and renewing. And so from verse 14, you can read it on the screens or on your devices or your Bibles. For this reason, he's getting into his prayer now, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I ask that out of the riches of His glory, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power together with all the saints, to comprehend the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more that all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us and to be him and 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Father, I ask that you would uh, wash through our lives with this scripture, that uh, you would renew us, that you would introduce us to a new possibility of your work in us and through us for the glory of your name. I pray for those who are new to church that they would understand that this is an invitation into something absolutely scandalous. Thank you that you're not wanting to invite us to jump through hoops of good behavior. You're wanting to show us what an empowered life looks like. Why don't you come and do that, I pray, in your name. Amen. The reason I pray this and going to teach on this prayer, because my premise is that God wants to answer this prayer in our lives, as of community and as individuals and as families. And notice Paul's introduction to this prayer, he says, for this reason. Now, if ever you hear somebody say, for this reason, the question should be, so what's the reason? Well, verse 14, he says, for this reason, but in verse 1, he also says, for this reason, which means the reason doesn't exist in chapter 3, from verse 1 and verse 14. The reason he is going to do what he's going to do is because, or the pray, what he's going to pray, is because of what happened in chapter 1 and chapter 2. That's the homework. Go and read it. Then this prayer will make a whole lot more sense. But basically what he's saying, he's describing... The incredible work of God through the gospel and bringing rebels like you and I, chapter 1, into this brand new family, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, whatever culture you come from, whatever age you are, He is bringing us all into this new entity called the church, this new society, and He's found a way to do that, but He planned it from before the foundation of the world. The reason is the entire content and emphasis on chapters 1 to 2. And now, he extends the prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees. The reason we pray these big kind of prayers is because God has done something, and He's not going to undo it. He's going to finish the task, and it brings Paul to his knees. He's right over here. In his prayer, he's on his knees in humility. You see, the posture of prayer at this time in the first century was not on your knees. The posture of prayer was standing with hands raised. But the kind of prayer that Paul is praying can only begin on his knees because it comes from such scandalous, irrational grace and goodness and kindness. bearing in mind that Paul is praying this prayer from a prison. He's being imprisoned for his work in the gospel. He is suffering in a Roman prison. And in Philippi, he was in a prison. And the only two things that apostles do when they're in prison, they sing louder and they pray louder. 
Paul and Silas, in the middle of the night, begin to pray. Amazing grace. Go to sing, sorry. And, and, and God shakes the prison open, and prisoners are released, and there's something amazing happens for the advance of the gospel. You see, the gospel cannot be bound. The church of Jesus' mission is unstoppable. Paul in prison is not praying primarily. How's this? He's not telling the, the Ephesian church, he's not saying, hey, you guys. He's not saying, pray for me. I'm having such a tough time here in this Roman prison. You should see the menu. It's terrible. There's no sushi. It's terrible. He's not praying those kind of prayers. He's not even praying for himself. He's praying for the recipients of this letter because he says, I, I, I want you to know I'm praying out of desperate circumstances, but I'm praying with a conviction that there are greater possibilities no matter what our circumstances are. And his prayer, as it were, has five steps. Sue said to me that I've got to be very careful because that's two, that's three, that's four, that's five. This is called the stay awake ladder for any of you that are tempted to go to sleep on this. You got, you, I mean, this is gonna, it's going to make sense in a moment, but what I want you to see, as we go through this prayer, the thing that's going to increase is your perspective, because that's what happens when you start to get introduced to some of God's wisdom and how to live a God-centered life. You start to live with a bit more altitude. As a matter of fact, if you pull, you're going to get so much altitude that you could get a nosebleed, and you need to have one of those. Okay, I'm being a bit silly, but it's because I really want you to get the metaphors of Paul is not praying a pretty tidy little religious prayer here. He's trying to say some stuff. So put your safety belts on and just check that that person next to you is locked and loaded. Okay. So he's noticed, firstly, he prays to the Father. For this reason, I, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. What is he saying? He says, I'm buying my knee to the one who started it all, who brought Jew and Gentile together, who brought all different ages and genders and everything into this new entity called the church. I'm bowing my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to know that your family is not the prototype of family. I want you to know that the real prototype for family, if you want a healthy family, is you plug it in to the father of the original prototype family. You need to be plugged into this father. So good, so kind. And when he says that word, every family, there's a sense in God is the father over the whole world, every human being, in a sense, because he created every human being in his own image. So he's the father by virtue of his creator authority, but he's also the father out of the essence of his love nature. He is the one who has never failed in his fathering, and the one that God, Paul is saying, I'm bowing before this father. But he's the father of the new humanity. We look at him in a new sense. You and I who've come to faith in Jesus, 
We are not gathered under elders primarily. We're not gathered under uh, the program or the vision of a church. We continually come out in worship to worship the Father of our, of our family. And uh, John Piper, in his uh, commentary on this, sort of favors this one. This is the greatest version of... We, Paul's praying to the father of the Ephesians, but it may include those other concepts of fatherhood. And what's important, if there is a father, there's a family, and if there's a family, you've got brothers and sisters. And what Paul is praying for is the sense of identity in a new community. He wants every one of us who name the name of Jesus to know you are a son or a daughter in the new community of God. There's three places you can get your identity. You can outsource it to culture, and you ask culture to define you, and that is a tyranny. It is a torturous possibility. Or your pendulum swing away from that, I will self-generate my identity on the basis of gender, sexuality, all of that thing. The tyranny is in the word self. Any kind of identity that starts with I self-identify is a tyranny. It's a treadmill. Or you upsource your identity and you receive it as a gracious gift of this loving Father who says to rebels like you and I, when we come home, He says, you're mine, and you're my son, and you're in my hand, and you're my daughter, and you're in my nail-scarred hand, and no one will ever pluck you from my hand. Friends, Paul is praying for something to get real in our lives, and the reality he's wanting us to experience is the sense of new identity through the gospel in a new community that this Father is watching over. Folk, it's the safest place on earth. But that's just the first step, as it were, in the prayer. He says, let's just get that sorted out. And I'm not saying each of them are sequential. I'm just saying that each layer lifts us into a higher sense of perspective. Then he prays, not just a, a new identity within a new community. Now he prays for a new life source and a new internal power. Friends, Rigby Wallace is not enough for the life God's called me to live. I cannot be full of Rigby Wallace. I need to be filled with somebody far wiser, more loving, someone who's been around a while, someone with a perfect track record, someone, and Paul prays this prayer, his prayer for this new community with a new identity. He says, I ask the Father out of the riches of His glory, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Oh, my dear. One of my little things in meditating on this verse, I wrote these words, in the incarnation... Jesus moves into the neighborhood. The word becomes flesh. But now we can see clearly that the primary locus or location of God's redemptive activity is now inside the inner life of his adopted sons and daughters. I pray that you would be strengthened with power through, the, through his spirit in your inner being. Folk, the program for God 
to change and transform our lives does not come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. And I would call this title, or this, if I preached a message on just this title, I would call it God's Inside Job. Because God knows if He wants to change you and puts a whole lot of external rules and regulations and says, do all of this stuff, you're not going to change. And even if you do change, it won't be sustainable. But if God wants to really change us into the image of His Son, you know what He's got to do. He's got to find a new locus. He's got to get into the deepest part of our lives. And Paul is praying while he's in prison, while his life is turned upside down, he still sees the greatest need for the advance of the gospel. It's God at work in His people in the deepest inside depth of our hearts. Folk, if your life is not changing, if you are not progressing, if you are not growing, that's not your measure. If others are not saying, oh, I can see your growth, or you're maturing, Paul is praying for a trajectory of maturity and growth. But notice, where does this gift of the Spirit come from? He says, it's out of the riches of His glory. Now, guys, just try and quantify the riches of God's glory. We're talking about unlimited resources. In fact, there's a thing in Greek mythology and in uh, philosophy called the concept of limited goodness. Like, there's only enough, so much to go around, so get to the front of the queue, stand on some people to get what you want. But when you understand, out of the riches of His glory, John 1.16 says, for from the From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You understand, you can't project onto this God, the Father of it all, a concept of limited limited goodness. You know, God's resources are about to dry up. No, it's out of the riches of His glory. He may strengthen you with power in your inner being. Been in front of the mirror recently which as you get on in yours can be quite an interesting thing. I've, I've learned not to wear glasses when you stand in front of the mirror. It's very, it's, it's like a softer view of yourself. But I've also noticed, I don't know if anybody can identify with this, you're having a shave here. And as you look and the light comes in through the window, as you look, you can see there's some hairs growing at right angles from different parts of your ears, your nose. And you think, where did that come from? It's just called your outward man. And Paul makes it clear, your outward man, as you live in this planet, this fallen world, your trajectory is from one degree of beauty to a lesser degree of beauty. It's one degree of, like, you were born, from the day you were born, you started to grow toward that final moment that I'm facing now, not final, final. Lee, don't get worried, girl. But you look in the mirror and you start to think, man, I need some extra work to be done, (laughs) if it's the most important thing in the world, which for me it's not. Though your outward self is wasting away, so the locus of the person I'm becoming is not your outward self. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. You want God to be in your, at work in your life, my life, for, a, for temporal things, then it's all about praying for answers to circumstances. Paul is turning this whole thing upside down. He says, no, there's a better prayer to pray. The better prayer to pray is for your life to become a riverbed for this activity. and work of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a new identity within a new community. It's also living by a new occupying power. Folk, I want to tell you this. I hope you can see it. He's saying that you would be strengthened, present, continuous. That means God is not passive in your life. And if you were to read your, your Bibles, ask the prayers, you will hear whispers from God. I want to tell you, I get nervous in life for some, some of my appointments. I, I don't feel like I've got everything waxed and covered. I've learned, though, to go to the one who does. And I've learned to pray my diary. I think I've shared this with you before. If I've got a diary and I've got appointments, I'm trying to not see appointments. I'm trying to see people. And I'm trying to see people that matter to God. And I'm trying to say, Lord, help me in this time with these people. Help us all to sense your activity among us so that it's not outcome-driven, it's formation-driven. What are you doing? What are you doing in these kind of moments? Oh, I'm already seeing better. When I start to understand that it's not about circumstantial change, but about internal transformation and renewal, the things that you want to change on the outside don't start on the outside. We're living from the inside out, not from the outside in. I don't know how to make the life I've been called to live work unless I get a higher perspective. And I'm I'm wanting to invite you to that. I'm not trying to command it. I don't want to make anybody feel like there's another hoop to jump through. I'm just saying this prayer gives us into a window what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Can I have a little bit of encouragement, maybe from two of you? (laughs) And now it gets even better. Look at the next layer. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not just a new identity in a new community, living by a new power and strengthening. It is a new residency, a new non-passive presence. God is not twiddling his thumbs. I want you to see something. This is going to offend our minds, but it's going to also call us north. Listen carefully. Paul says that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Paul, what on earth are you saying? When I became a Christian, Jesus came into my life and he now dwells and the Bible tells me that he's dwelling in me, but Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory, tick. True, Christ in you, the hope of glory, half a tick. Christ in you, the hope of glory, And now that Christ may dwell in you. Now having Christ in your life is a beautiful thing. Having Christ in your life setting up his residency in you. And the word dwell, 
I'm going to read it to you. D.A. Carson explains it. I think we begin to understand more of the idiom of dwelling if we remember how when someone takes up residence in a dwelling, they shape the dwelling. If Christ comes in and he's dwelling, now he's saying, let Christ dwell. Let him fully occupy. How many of you have done some remodeling work on homes or alterations? If you've done one or two alterations, give me a wave. Now, you know what happens when you do that? I'll tell you what ends up happening. You, when you paint the walls, you're putting your favorite colors on. When you create the space flow, you're putting your touch on that thing. You are transforming it into something. Sue and I have done some of those renovations, and we love the fact when we sit back, we look at it, and we are co-crafters of something really beautiful that we want to share with others. Well, folks, I've got some brilliant news for you. When you said yes to Jesus Christ at salvation, when you were born again by sheer mercy and grace, that's what he does with rebels who say they need help. He comes in, but he comes in to, through the front door, and he's in your life, but we've got to learn to invite him, metaphorically speaking, into the lounge, into the study, into the kitchen, into every room, because he wants to occupy all of you. He wants to set up residency, residency in you and me in such a way that we reflect his remodeling, that we become a reflection of his nature. Folk, discipleship is not having a God who can meet our needs. Discipleship is having a God who's at work in us and getting us ready for the new heavens and the new earth already. And He's transforming us from one degree of glory to the next for His glory. So when Christ inhabits you and me, He's shaping us. Don't put him into any other crowd. He is not your cosmic butler. Paul in prison. Oh, God, won't you get me out of here? Deal with the Romans. Send an earthquake. Do something. You did an earthquake last time in Philippi. Time for an earthquake. Bring the Roman Empire down. No, he doesn't even think like that because there's a higher agenda. God's primary agenda is transforming hearts and lives. Jesus said it this way, John 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home in him. It sounds like a, a life being indwelt. Number four. One, two, three, four. I'll get up there just now. So that when all these first three things, there's this, these, these steps that Paul's climbing, so that I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together all the saints to grasp how wide and how love, high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want to show you something that God also wants to do in, on the inside. He wants to secure us. He wants to give us a new security. He wants us to know that the most secure people in the world are loved people. The most secure people are people, look at the metaphors, being rooted like a tree into soil that binds its roots again into the rocks so that no matter what the wind, no matter what the storm, God says, I want to, I want to root you by my love. My love is the most powerful force in the universe. And if my love is at work in you in such a way that it secures you, you start to laugh at storms. 
a little. I don't mean cynically love. I don't mean be impervious to difficulty. I mean you'll never see them as final outcomes. You see them as even a storm is a servant to the root system of the tree to send our roots deeper into the security of God's love. And grounded like a building that has firm foundations that can withstand. It doesn't mean we won't get some of the earthquakes that happen in our lives. It's part of living in this fallen world. But we'll be able to stand, metaphorically speaking. It's calling us to this new, this new thing. But notice this strange thing Paul does here. He says, and I pray that in order that you may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Paul, come on, you can't have it both ways. You want us to know the love of God, and then you tell us you can't know it. It surpasses knowledge. It's beyond understanding. What he's getting at, he says, out of this new security, I want you to experience my love for you. I want you to experience it as your roots are going deeper. I want you to experience this love. I want to prove my love to you in all kinds of wonderful ways that are not external stuff. It's related to our relationship with him. And here's the point. D.A. Carson says, I'm not mature as a Christian if I can merely articulate the Christian faith. It doesn't make me mature. I must ask myself, am I overwhelmed by the grace of God and the love of God in Christ? It's got to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then the, so where are we? Just go back. New identity, new community, new power, new residency, and now new security. Folk, God does not want to give us a better life. He wants to give us a new life. All of these things are sources of renewal. He's calling us. And then the temptation is to think, thank you, Paul. What a prayer. Best prayer we've ever heard. And then he says, well, sorry, I... I've got to take you but north so that they may be filled to the fullness of God. Tell me when to stop. Susie, insurance, insurance policy premiums are paid. While God is active in our lives in this new way, we're not in barely get along street down Grumble Alley. We're occupied by this life. And he says, its trajectory is to be fuller and fuller of God. I don't get any ideas. God is not sharing his, uh, his transcendent attributes with us. Like God is omnipresent. He's not saying, I want you to be filled with my omnipresence. He's not saying, I want you to be filled with my omnipotence, all power. I want you to be filled with my omni omniscience. I've got all wisdom. God's not saying, I'm giving it all to you now. He says, I want you to be filled with the one who has all of those qualities, and yet he's come to make his home inside of us finite, Fickle sometimes, wayward sometimes, yet dearly loved children. 
He says, I want to get in on the inside. And I want you to know one thing before you leave this room, church, speaking for God. You need more of me than you realize. You need me. And Paul's prayer is that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And then we could all go home, except he adds, as I land, I could jump off. We're going to land that way. Then he says, he's prayed to the Father, all these things, God at work in this profoundly deeper, more maturing way in our lives, then he lands with, now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. In other words, God will accomplish his purposes in direct proportion to how much of our inner life he can own. He says, I'm able to do more, but according to my power that is at work within you who believe. See, God, when he sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins, he chose human instrumentality to save us. And now when he advances his mission into the world, he is not bypassing human instrumentality. He's taking little old you, little old me, and he says, I'm gonna, you're going to be a mini version of what I do. I'm going to teach you to incarnate your life into the world, but you can only do it with faith, hope, and love as you allow this deeper work of the Holy Spirit. Folk, I have just been on a six-week trip overseas with Sue and be ministering out of this well and I can't wait for my leave this week because I want to get to that place of making margin for renewal and getting refreshed. We're not discouraged, but we know the more you serve God and the more you see Him accomplished, you don't need less of God. You need more of God. And we're so encouraged by that. So Paul is calling us into a new level of maturity. And coupled to my first exhortation, I want to say, let's not become weary. Sometimes we weary because we're doing it all in our own strength. And God is saying, I don't want you to do it in your strength. I want you to realize I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He wants, to, he wants us to know that he is the friend of sinners. We don't run from God when we've blown it. We run to him. How do we know that we're running to him? Well, when there's humility and a white flag, then you're running to God. If there's not, you're not running to God. You're looking for allies. You don't need an ally. You need a savior. You need counsel. You need people to walk you through the journey in life-giving ways. Now, would you mind if I came down from these lofty heights and just live my life among the most beautiful people in the southern suburbs? It was only for effect. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I've never done this, but I want to ask you if you... It was quite a rich, packed message, but do yourself the favor and go and listen to this online. Get a, get a round two of this, listen to it maybe in your car, and just let it wash over you in a renewing way. But let's be the people that have a richer welcome, a louder song, and pray these great prayers as the band leads us in the song. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving your people. As we sing, Lord, we ask that as we respond to you in singing, 
would you come to us in the power of your spirit? We want to invite you to strengthen us with power in our inner being through the Holy Spirit. Renew us. By grace we pray. Amen. Let's sing this last song, everyone.